Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the McElhaney Report. I'm Bill McElhaney. On this show, we cover current issues of the day, but always from a viewpoint or perspective rarely aired by the mass media. We hope you'll find it interesting. Since 1989, the world has been told that the Soviet Union collapsed and that, except for several countries, communism is dead and the U.S. won the Cold War. The truth, the reality, is quite the reverse. Everything we have witnessed since 1989 has been a massive and successful multi-decade-long deception strategy on the part of the KGB, the Soviet secret police. The goal? To deceive the West and achieve the goal of Leninist strategy, a totalitarian world government or international police state. We know this from the evidence provided by Anatoly Galitsyn, the most important defector from the KGB who came to America in 1961. In 1980, he wrote a book, New Lies for Old, that was published in 1984, which described the disinformation strategy and made specific predictions as to what the KGB, KGB would do in subsequent years, such as removing the Berlin Wall, changing the name of the KGB itself and other structures in the Soviet hierarchy, and also the role to be played by Mikhail Gorbachev. An independent analysis of these predictions years later showed that over 94% of them came true by 1991 and since then. That's how we know Galitsyn was telling the truth and quite correct. Our guest today, who first appeared on this show in 1995, is uniquely qualified to expose this conspiratorial strategy. Based in London, he publishes 10 newsletters and reviews on economic, financial, and political intelligence including Soviet analysts. These invaluable periodicals incorporate the understanding of post-1989 events provided by Anatoly Galitsyn. He's published Galitsyn's second book, Perestroika Deception. He's also published Joseph Douglas's Red Cocaine on the Soviet strategy of using drugs to sabotage the West. And he's published a very important book, The Euro European Union Collective, on the regional world government now in place over both Europe and Britain. I am so happy to welcome back to the McElhaney Report my valuable friend and colleague, Christopher Story. So glad to have you here. Delighted to be here. Now, for those people who are just learning about Anatoly Galitsyn, we need to emphasize that the understanding he provided about the strategy of which he was a part in the early 1959 to 61 mm -hmm. period in forming this strategy in the KGB hierarchy. This multi-decade strategy means that nothing really has changed in the Soviet Union and the other satellite East, East Bloc communist states that call themselves democratic re republics today. Nothing has changed except 
deception, appearance, and propaganda. And let's go over some examples of that. Don't, don't we have the same KGB-leaden bureaucracy with different names on the doors? Absolutely. The KGB remains the same. It's divided itself into several parts. But this is by no means the first time this has happened. It's happened about five or six times in, since 1917. But um, Galitzin's great uh, achievement was to make uh, Lenin understandable, because actually all that Galitzin did in his two books, New Lies for Old and The Perestroika Deception, uh, is, is to explain Lenin's mind. And um, these people actually are, are in Lenin's mind. They're out of their own minds, and they're in Lenin's mind, mm -hmm. which is not a very nice place to be. Mm -hmm. Also, the system of some 1,700 concentration camps that comprised yes. the Soviet gulag prison house of, of, mm. of uh, territory with millions and millions of political prisoners. All of those concentration camps are still there, but never discussed by the media, which since 1989 has told us that communism's gone out of business. In uh, a few years ago, I was privileged to receive a list of these concentration camps from a very reliable source. And this list um, contained the actual street addresses, I mean, so to speak, of, and the locations of, of these concentration camps. And these included a number of new camps which had been set up under the so-called, you know, quote-unquote, non-communist government of Boris Yeltsin, which in fact was a continuation mm -hmm. by other means which we'll come to. Um, now, I published this, when I published this in Soviet Analyst, I thought this has got to be, you know, a really, a really interesting story. Mm -hmm. I sent it to the whole of the, the Western media that I could think of, the, the English-speaking world. Not a, not a trace, no, re, no response at all. However, there have been a number of open references to this, which have appeared almost as if by accident in mm -hmm. articles in The Guardian and elsewhere, which, of course, I and others collect. And when you put these things together, you get actually a very interesting picture. There's been no change at all. Okay, not only <clears throat> has there been no change in the Soviet concentration camp system, but in their massive military buildup, their worldwide espionage activities within Western nations, the subversion and sabotage they wage, particularly the area of sabotage called drug trafficking. Basically, um, in 1961, uh, uh, the Soviets relaunched or launched um, a long-range strategy, mm -hmm. which is what Galitzin talks about in his two books. Um, I should say, perhaps, that uh, the, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union has had four programs since it started, only four party programs. The first was 1903, the second was after the revolution 1917, the third party program is that which Galitzin speaks about and writes about in his two books, the third party program. Which would be from 1961 mm. onward. Uh, from 1961 to 1986, when Gorbachev, um, Gorbachev is, a, is uh, sorry, 85, mm -hmm. Gorbachev uh, arrives as general secretary in 85, and at the um, 27th party congress in 1986, he launches the fourth party program. We'll come to that in a minute. Um, so. Uh, the, and the, the purpose of the long-range strategy, which was, which was actually announced by the head of the KGB um, in 1959, they prepared this strategy. And then when they had worked out how they were going to uh, deceive the West in, in what has turned out to be the biggest deception operation in the history of mankind, to be honest, um, when they worked this out, they... Uh, convened a conference called the 81 Party Con uh, Congre Congress, which took place 
on one day, on the 6th of December 1961, and these, uh, consisting of 81 par parties from all over the world, communist parties, and the uh, long-range strategy was rubber-stamped, and that was it. And um, from 1961 to the arrival of Gorbachev uh, was the period when they were preparing for the implementation of what Gorbachev subsequently mm -hmm. introduced. Now, I'd just like, just like to, stay, to say here something very important, which is that sometimes people say, why, has, why was there such a long period from the introduction of the third party program to the introduction of the fourth party program? And the answer to that is extremely interesting. It is that uh, in 1949 or 1948, the uh, Western Allies agreed with the Soviet Union, i.e. with Stalin, that, that Germany was to be occupied for a period of 40 years. Mm -hmm. f f 80, 49 to 89 mm -hmm. takes you to the uh, pulling down of the Berlin Wall. And on cue, quick as a flash, they start pulling down the wall mm -hmm. at the end of the 40-year period. So what do they do during this, uh, this extended period? Now, we, by the way, we don't really know why that 40-year period was agreed, but it seems to have been uh, an agreement, uh, almost a secret, a secret agreement. Uh, by the way, Secretary of State Burns, B-Y-R-N-E-S, was responsible for agreeing. That, that was his last, that was his most important contribution, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Um, that's his main legacy, and um, we don't really know why it was it was agreed that the the Germany should be occupied for forty years. Mm -hmm. I don't. I personally do not know. Okay, the answer but that the question. third party program from sixty one yeah. onward consisted of uh, this scheme yes. to promote disinformation about the alleged crumbling of yeah. the monolithic worldwide mm. communist yeah. uh, superstructure, uh, alleged rifts mm. and splits mm. between the Soviet Union yeah. and Yugoslavia, the Soviet yeah. Union and Red China, mm. and give the West mm. the impression mm. that communism was fragmenting yeah. and becoming decentralized. At the same time, they were waging, uh, the, uh, they were creating and waging an international um, terrorism campaign by creating an international mm. terror network we, we'll get back to. Mm. And they were using drugs uh, and drug trafficking mm. internationally as they gained t maintained mm. and gained uh, total control over international drug trafficking as a weapon of sabotage against the West. Yes. So these are all strategies, along the, the, with military buildup yeah. and espionage. These are all sub-strategies, mm -hmm. but they're very important planks. I mean, basically, there are four main sub-strategies um, within the long-range strategy, apart from the the weak look, mm -hmm. which you've already described, right. the weak look being, you know, appear weak, which mm -hmm. is based on the ancient Chinese uh, military strategist Sun Tzu, which um, Sun Tzu's famous book, The Art of War, mm -hmm. is, uh, was required reading and still is in the Soviet military mm -hmm. and in the East German. We happen to know that it was um, required reading in the East German military because we've got a copy of the East German translation of Sun mm -hmm. Tzu, which appeared in 1956, which is highly significant. Um, so the sub-strategies are um, the global drug offensive, the international terrorism uh, offensive, mm -hmm. the what I call international criminalism, which is the uh, exploitation of organized criminal operations in the interests of strategy. Right. And now this is extremely important. We're going to come, I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk about that more, right. because basically that is almost completely controlling what's happening today. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we have, well, uh, of these four, we have the, what I call the Gramsci dimension. Mm -hmm. Now, the Gramsci dimension, 
I, uh, Named I'm, after the Italian uh, communist Antonio Gramsci. Uh, Antonio Gramsci, G-R-A-M-S-C-I. He was uh, the founder of the Italian Communist Party and was imprisoned by Mussolini and wrote a, a book on basically on toilet paper while he was imprisoned called The Prison Notebooks. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, his thesis was that um, you, you have to change the, the cultural base mm -hmm. um, in order to achieve the revolution. So once you've got everybody with garbage ideas in their heads and you've destroyed art, you've replaced music with hideous noise, mm -hmm. you've uh, satanized music, if you mm -hmm. like, and you've caused uh, all the things, you, you, all the, you've attacked and undermined all the institutions. And, and traditional you've, values. You, you've de traditional values have destroyed, uh, ec uh, you, you've uh, eliminated religious teaching and all that. Mm -hmm. That is what I call the Gramsci dimension, That's, uh, you, which is commonly known as the culture wars. Mm -hmm. This is a strategy of the Leninist Soviet Revolution. Right. And the criminalism consisted of creating what is now today called the Russian Mafia, uh, both within mm. the Soviet Union and internationally, so that any business activity that continued during this period of alleged uh, democratism or alleged uh, uh, reform in the Soviet Union, any business activity conducted there could be controlled by KGB agents who uh, appropriately enough, since they've always been crimi a criminal enterprise, yeah. now called themselves the Russian Mafia yeah. and penetrated all of these business uh, uh, organizations yeah. and made sure that they were able to control any active uh, com commercial activity, any type of commercial activity, whether coming from yeah. foreign capital or within yeah. Russia, uh, so that the KGB would maintain even tighter control. That's absolutely true. And in, in fact, I understand, I don't know his name, or I can't recall his name, but the head of the Russian Mafia, M-A-F-I-Y-A, mm -hmm. to distinguish it from the, the Chicago-type right, Mafia, right. Um, is a resident in New York City, because mm -hmm. that's where the action is. That's but right. the, the, the importance of criminalism cannot be underestimated, uh, because what has happened is that the, K, is that the KGB being a criminal enterprise, um, by, by definition, uh, was always very close to the huge underground economy uh, which existed under overt communism. Right. By the way, I use the phrase overt mm -hmm. communism. Pre-1989. Pre-1989 and covert communism to describe the present situation, right. which right. is, I think, a, a useful uh, short-form way of doing it. Yes. Um, so that uh, under the KGB, there was an organization called the Economic Department, mm -hmm. which appeared to be dealing with economic issues, but actually was concerned with controlling, the, with c controlling and developing the criminal underground. underground and then uh, in parallel with this, because uh, on the principle of Leninist duplication, Lenin duplicated every aspect of government and activity, mm -hmm. party activity, state and party activity. Um, the um, Ministry of the Interior, the MVD, had its own um, criminal control organization called, which uh, go, going by the letters OBKH. Mm -hmm. So you have these two uh, sources uh, of, of um, background in, uh, expertise and knowledge of how to control criminal mm -hmm. operations. Which is today the so-called Russian yeah. Mafia yes. actually yes. just another branch operation of the KGB. No question. And the, uh, uh, after the so-called fake collapse, I mean, after the fake collapse of communism, or during this period, the Soviets, in fact, exported large numbers of KGB officers who'd been retrained as criminal 
controllers. Mm -hmm. I call them criminalists, mm -hmm. operators of, of criminalism. Mm -hmm. And they have joined up with the underworld, the huge underworld in the West mm -hmm. here as well. Now, the drug dimension of the world revolution, which they largely control, but not entirely, but they largely control it, um, uh, is, of course, uh, it operates in parallel with and is, is part of this criminalist operation. Mm -hmm. And this, the, and basically the drug, the drug, uh, international drug trafficking elements that they control uh, must finance the world revolution. But it has another very important point, um, uh, rationale, which is that because the proceeds of drug operations have to be banked, they have their own bankers. Mm -hmm. Now, we know from uh, Joe Douglas's book, which I was privileged to edit and publish, Red Cocaine, that, um, which is based on the debriefing of a, a very senior Czech defector called Jan, General Jan Shainer. Um, we know that Shainer was actually the highest official in the uh, Czech Communist Party. He was, uh, he was the, 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 the secretary overseeing everything. And he was responsible for um, making the administrative arrangements for delegations of bankers who were coming to Czechoslovakia in the late, the second part of the 60s to be selected by the Czechs who were acting as um, cutouts for the Soviets. Although there were Soviet, um, senior Soviet officials present at these selection meetings, they actually chose the bankers who were going to launder the proceeds of their drug operations because they knew that these would become so massive. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that the Soviets are totally in control, but the, uh, the, the extent of their operations is huge. And in the Western Hemisphere, by the way, it's controlled by the, um, the, the America's Department of the Cuban Communist Party. Mm -hmm. So, this, and, and internationally, this was a combination of Soviet military intelligence, the GRU, uh, because it is sabotage against Correct. the West, and also th through the Soviet Union's control of the Red Chinese uh, dictatorship, uh, because Red China has been a principal grower of uh, heroin yeah. and supplier of heroin worldwide, too. So they have two bases of operations. Yeah, well, they have more, more because there are others as well. But uh, basically what happened was that after 1949, the Soviets watched the Chinese because Mao Zedong used drugs against his own people. Mm -hmm. And then after the revolution, the Chinese uh, communists exported their, um, their, their drug trafficking um, as an element of their own operations. Mm -hmm. The Soviets watched this, and then they set up their own separate um, international drug op um, you know, offensive. Mm -hmm. And in the course of doing this, they, they tried to penetrate those, those rings, those um, groups of drug operators that they could. And where they couldn't succeed the, to actually break in, they formed their own and, and replaced them, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, in Colombia, of course, through the uh, the uh, America's Department of the Cuban Communist Party, they control what's going on in Colombia. Mm -hmm. No question. So this organized criminalism uh, as an activity on the part of the KGB since 1961 is the Russian Mafia and controls any business activity that we hear about as examples of alleged free enterprise breaking out in the so-called New Russia and the satellite nations. Uh, that's, that's almost entirely true. I mean, what we have in these these countries is what, I, what Lenin called state capitalism, which I now have renamed state-controlled capitalism, yes. um, uh, which means that it appears uh, to the West as though 
these enterprises are entirely freestanding right. and they've got shareholders and they right. have managing directors <coughs> and they've got they've even got in Moscow large office blocks like Gazprom mm -hmm. but they are in fact entirely controlled by the, the state right. the, the revolution but through the, the, the intelligence services. Yeah, and that's a deception and a performance very similar to the uh, performance of political democratism, where we see alleged rival parties and rival candidates taking part in uh, elections in the so-called new Russia yeah. and the new satellite nations, um, when actually all of these parties are controlled by KGB personnel, and it is a performance mm -hmm. for um, the American public to watch on CNN and through other uh, parts of yeah. the media. A major part of the strategy since 1961 has consisted of building slowly and installing a very dictatorial regional world government over all of Europe on top of the existing yeah. socialist bureaucracies that, that are in the governments of each of these countries over all of Europe and now sadly also Britain in the form of the European Union. And this constitutes an accomplishment of Leninist strategy, mm -hmm. as predicted by Galitsyn. Um, and of course, while the KGB had infiltrated all the European governments and the British government, as they had infiltrated the American CIA and, and other parts of the United States government, um, in addition to that, the current treaty arrangements between mm -hmm. the European Union, based in Brussels, and, uh, this, and the new Russia, mean that there's even further, tighter uh, Soviet and KGB control over the foreign policy of this new uh, globalist regional government that controls Russia, that controls Europe, and controls Britain. I don't disagree with any of that. Um, one of the uh, important things that Galitsyn teaches us in the Perestroika Deception is, is that uh, it doesn't matter who wins an election, the communists always win. Mm -hmm. Now the reason for that is that every single political activist you see on the Moscow stage, if you can be bothered to see what's going on, because by the way the TV cameras are only focused on Moscow, right. you never see what's going on in Leningrad or in Tbilisi or mm -hmm. in Alma Ata or anywhere else, right. only Moscow, right. that's where the control takes place, because all the other uh, so-called, you know, free republics now, they're not, they're controlled of course, right. these republics um, you know, they're still Stalinist states, right. almost entirely. There's hardly any, I don't think there are any exceptions to mm -hmm. that. But um, th th this business of controlling all the political parties uh, and giving them, allowing them to adopt different names, you know, th this was a, a conscious policy mm -hmm. which was um, laid down by Gorbachev and Yeltsin mm -hmm. at the 28th Party Congress in uh, July 1990. Mm -hmm. Both Gorbachev and Yeltsin made speeches in which they said to the comrades, now is the time uh, to um, follow whatever path you feel would be most appropriate. In a nutshell, that's what they said. We have the two quotes in my book, mm -hmm. the, um, the European Union Collective. Uh, so that's what I call democratism, which is the creation and maintenance of the illusion of democracy. Mm -hmm. Now that pattern is being implemented in the European Union mm -hmm. because um, by various means almost all the participants even na at national level uh, in the political process are selected for the job or mm -hmm. are you know appointed or are you know, chosen now um, it's, it's quite difficult to explain this but it, in Britain there's an extremely uh, lethal piece of legislation which requires 
all political parties to register at a central registration mm -hmm. uh, point. And the, it, it, it basically dictates what the political parties can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. But in the European, um, on the, at the European level, no political party can participate in the European Parliament if it's not 100% signed up to the idea of the European project. And submission to the authority of Absolutely. this regional world government yeah. based in right. Brussels, yeah. which is now uh, imposing dictatorial controls on a daily basis mm. down to the most mm. minute level yeah. of business and human activity on all residents of yeah. Europe and increasingly in Britain. And if you read the Financial Times newspaper, mm. you see examples daily and in the mm. Wall Street Journal mm. of how the European mm. Union is trying to tell people and businesses in the United States mm. what they will do. That's quite true. When Go Go Gorbachev visited London briefly for a day on the 23rd of March, 2000, and um, during that visit, he made a, a, a statement, which I repeated at every opportunity. He, ad he acknowledged and stated that the European Union is the new European Soviet, and I quote. Yes. That's what it is. Yes. Now, let me describe the European Union, what it really is. It is a political collective. Mm -hmm. So all these British uh, politicians who constantly talk about the need to be in the center of Europe and the need to influence, you know, for Britain's great experience to be used for the benefit of, of the Europeans so that they, you know, so that we can influence what they do, are completely wasting yes. their breath. They are insulting our intelligence. Mm -hmm. This is a political collective. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a political collective, decisions are taken p uh, collectively. Right. No individual nation uh, can take any decisions. Okay. Now, we... So it destroys the sovereignty completely we have, of all the individual nations. We have nations. no sovereignty. Right. We have no interests, and we have politicians in Westminster who talk about British interests. Mm -hmm. We have delegated and collectivized those interests. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a few residual peculiar exceptions. For example, there's a thing called the Common Foreign and Security Policy, which is part of the, of the collectivization yeah. uh, process. Well, Br Britain flouted that policy by mm -hmm. joining uh, the United States mm -hmm. in respect of this Iraqi operation. Right. But we shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the Europeans didn't know what to do and threw up their hands in horror. Yes. Um, but this will probably be the last chance we'll have mm -hmm. if we don't get out of it. Uh, so Gorbachev's purpose, and it's so interesting that Galitsyn describes Gorbachev in the book he wrote in 1980 before anyone had heard of him, describes his role, des describes the character that he would play mm. on the stage yes. of this deception describes him and his purpose obviously was to go from the third party program uh, of 1961 to about 1985 mm. and in 1985 start the idea that the Stalinist model right. was over with yeah. and that there was going to be this new reform system. Yeah. Christopher, yeah. I knew we could just barely get into the subject matter thus far, but we're going to do another show on related topics, mm. recent topics. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, and if you're interested in learning more about what we've, what we've discussed and being able to examine the background information so you can learn about this massive and successful Soviet disinformation strategy, please contact us at the phone number or address given at the end of the program, and we'll get you that information. This is Bill McElhaney for the McElhaney Report, thanking you for being with us today.
Welcome to the McElhaney Report. I'm Bill McElhaney. On this show, we cover current topics of the day, but always from a perspective or viewpoint rarely aired by the mass media. We hope you find it interesting. Since 1989, the world has been told that the Soviet Union collapsed and that, except for a few countries, communism is dead and the U.S. won the Cold War. The truth, the reality, is quite the reverse. Everything we have seen since 1989 has been a massive and successful multi-decade-long deception strategy on the part of the KGB, the Soviet secret police. The goal? To deceive the West and achieve the goal of Leninist strategy, a totalitarian world government or international police state. We know this from the evidence provided by Anatoly Galitsyn, the most important defector from the KGB who came to America in 1961. In 1980, he wrote a book, New Lies for Old, which was published in 1984. This described the disinformation strategy and made specific predictions as to what the KGB would be doing in subsequent years, such as removing the Berlin Wall, changing the name of the KGB and other state structures, and the role to be played by Mikhail Gorbachev. An independent analysis showed that 94% of the predictions made in that book in 1980 came true by 1991 and since that time. And that's how we know Galitsyn was telling the truth and quite correct. And understanding Galitsyn is absolutely indispensable to an understanding of international terrorism today, what happened on September 11th, and the war recently fought in Iraq. Our guest today, who first appeared on this show in 1995, is uniquely qualified to expose this conspiratorial strategy. Based in London, he publishes 10 newsletters and reviews on economic, financial, and political intelligence, including Soviet analysts. These invaluable periodicals incorporate the understanding of post-1989 events provided by Galitsyn. He has published Galitsyn's second book, Perestroika Deception. He's also published Joseph Douglas's Red Cocaine on the Soviet strategy of using drug trafficking as a means of sabotaging the West. And a very important book, The European Union Collective on the Regional World Government Now in Place Over Both Europe and Britain. I am so happy to welcome back to the McElhaney Report my good friend and colleague, Christopher Story. Delighted to be here. Um, in the introduction, I tried to summarize briefly what we've covered in prior shows. And what I want to concentrate on today is another major example of Soviet strategy since 1961, or what was called the Third Party Program mm -hmm. from 1961 onward. And the fact that this strategy has continued unbroken since 1989 is just another example of the continuity of KGB control in the Soviet Union and the other communist countries, despite the pretense and deception about reform and democratism yeah. and changes that allegedly were made. And that, of course, is the International Terror Network. Now, we had the benefit of knowing, going back to the early 1980s, from works like Claire Sterling's very important study, The Terror Network, we had the ability of knowing that by the early 1960s, the Soviet KGB literally created an international terror mm. network worldwide in scope with training mm. centers around the world in Soviet satellite nations and headed by two principal directorates. The d one directorate of this being the Palestine Liberation mm. Organization, PLO yeah. Leadership Directorate, uh, comprised of several parts and headed by Moscow-trained Yasser Arafat 
and also the Cuban-based, uh, the, the KGB in Cuba is the DRG, mm. the Cuban-based tricontinental mm. apparatus. Yeah. And these were the two directorates running this terror network mm. created by the Soviets in the mid-60s. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about that terror network because mm. it still exists today. And we're told communism has mm. collapsed and yet their terror network is functioning more actively with mm. the same KGB control today. Yes. In, uh, I think it was January 1966, the Soviets summoned a uh, special conference in Cuba called the Tricontinental Conference. And as far as I recall, 538 delegations from communist um, structures around the world arrived at this conference. And this conference um, decided and agreed uh, in, in accordance with, a, with a, a Soviet plan to establish a network of terror training camps. And they started um, doing this in Cuba. And by October 1966, a whole series of terrorism training camps had sprung up on the outskirts, the outskirts of Havana. And these tr terror training camps and operations were controlled by a KGB colonel called Colonel Vadim Kochagin. And um, by the end of the first year of operations, 1967, they were turning out 1,500 trained terrorists for, uh, application for operations all over the world in their own countries and elsewhere. Mm. Now, um, in not very long afterwards, uh, these, these Cuban-trained terrorists, uh, who included Arabs and Palestinians, were setting up what I call the second generation of terror training operations in various parts of the Middle East, um, Lebanon being the most important. Now, the Iranians are very important in this. The Iranians control Hezbollah, as you know, which is an absolutely deadly um, uh, terrorism operation, a terrorism network. And that occurred uh, after the Carter administration yes. betrayed our ally, the Shah of Iran, and helped the Communist Two-Day Party in Iran yeah. install the current dictatorship. That's right. And once the current dictatorship had been installed, the Two-Day Party was largely eliminated, mm -hmm. which is standard practice. Uh, once, very often, for reasons which are too, de too complex to explain, for example, in, in, in an interview, Briefly. these people are uh, eliminated when their the, the sell-by date has been passed. Mm -hmm. So terrorism... By the way, terrorism, of course, is integral with the revolution. I mean, Lenin was a terrorist. Trotsky is a terrorist. The, um, the, the, the Cheka, the pre predecessor of the KGB, um, the founder of the KGB was the most, one of the most evil men ever to have lived, called uh, Felix Dzerzhinsky. Yes. And you might be interested in the following interesting fact. Uh, guess what Felix Dzerzhinsky's birthday is? 11th of September. Mm -hmm. An interesting point. Yeah, interesting point. Well, then let's talk about, uh, since we know the, the KGB established this terror network in the mid-60s, mm. had two regional mm. uh, directorates for it, the PLO apparatus mm. and the tricontinental apparatus. What do we know today about its continuity, the, uh, the connection it would have to uh, individuals like Osama bin Laden and to Al-Qaeda. Right, well, if I could just step back, yeah, because I, I think we've got a slight... Um, it, it, people like us, uh, analysts, we have to put together information which is, uh, which is not necessarily current, although right. we try to live with current, but it's very rare to obtain right. actually, you know, current information. Right. 
We know that the KGB was, we, because of Vadim Kochagin, we know that the Cuban camp operation was a KGB operation. And we know also uh, that uh, the um, establishment of uh, training uh, areas in, uh, in the Middle East was KGB. But we also know from um, a source which I found, which is a book by a man called Gail Rivers, who was a New Zealand terror um, um, expert and an intelligence officer. He writes in a very interesting book called The War Against Terrorists, How to Win It, dated 1986. And I just want to read you this, because this is of extraordinary importance. He says, a recent Russian defector named Bokhan, who was attached to the Soviet embassy in Athens from 1968 to 1975, and was a member of the GRU, the GRU being Soviet military intelligence, uh, as opposed to the KGB, uh, confirmed that the GRU was orchestrating terrorist acts both in Greece and abroad with the aim of creating subversion and terror worldwide. Now there you have a smoking gun. This has been in the public domain, this book, since 1986. This is a highly, uh, Gail Rivers, a New Zealander trained in the Special Forces, says in the, mm -hmm. in the flap, is an articulate man of high principle who has risked his life many times in the counter-terrorist war on five continents. Now, this is not an idle statement. Yeah. Everything in this book, by the way, that I've read is absolutely first class. Um, so here we have a statement by an expert who knew this, mm -hmm. that the Soviet military intelligence are behind the terror network, the, right. the terror operation. Now, the KGB, of course, is also military intelligence, mm -hmm. and they're interlinked. Yes. So you, uh, while the distinction is valid, it's also invalid in mm -hmm. the sense that the, 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 the other name for the Soviet, uh, Soviet military intelligence is, in fact, the first chief directorate. So mm -hmm. um, Soviet military intelligence is behind the global terror offensive, yes. which is a, a very key element of the long-range strategy. Yeah. Now, why has this been totally ignored by the media and by our governments? The British government and the American government have said absolutely nothing about this. Why is this? Well, and it's come to the point now where supposedly the leadership of the new democratic Russia is enlisted by the American government to be our advisors, consultants, and partners in fighting and stopping world mm. terrorism. Absolutely right. The very network which since the 60s, under the visible leadership of Yasser Arafat, the Soviet KGB and GRU have controlled. And unfortunately, we've come to a state of affairs today where the Bush administration, as was the case with prior administrations, is giving over a billion dollars a year to the communist PLO specifically mm. to administer its takeover of part of Israel, and we're forcing them on Israel. We're protecting mm. Yasser Arafat from being disturbed or removed by the Israeli government, and we're maintaining mm. the continuity of this Soviet-controlled terror network supposedly years after communism disappeared from the planet. Yes, and it's gone even further because we now have a prime minister of the Palestinian Authority yes. whose, whose name is Abu Mazen. That's his code name. His real name is Mahoud Abbas. Now, this man was, quote, was, in quotes, in control of Hamas, the most uh, devious and most uh, egregious terrorist arm of the PLO. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, this man is persona grata in all Western capitals, in Washington, London, and Brussels. Um, and he is, uh, he is the new Mr. Mr. Democracy. Now, why is this? And the answer to this is that, as has happened in the past, this man has been bribed. Mm -hmm. He has been paid very substantial sums of black operations money to change his tune in order to suit 
the, the objectives of the Western manipulators who are trying to sort of uh, achieve whatever their objective is. And well, in a way, as remember, Gorbachev lost credibility as an alleged reformer when it was obvious that uh, he was still a Leninist and still promoting Leninist strategy. So they had to bring in a new performer, yeah. Yeltsin, who appeared to be yeah, more right. likable to yeah. the West. And we had, we had to definitely support him for fear that some other uh, maniac mm. would come to power. So, so in, in essence, we've got the same thing here. It's a well, puppet show. You've yeah, got, it is a puppet you've got show. Arafat and a puppet mm. working mm. in the PLO leadership, and it gives the United States government the excuse to support mm. the puppet. Don't forget that Mrs. Thatcher said to me, uh, when talking about Gorbachev, whom she knew very well, she, uh, she said, he's not a Leninist anymore, she said to me. But he said um, he was. He said he was a Leninist yeah. in all his speeches, yes. which I've read. He never and hesitated to admit he, it. In every he took every opportunity to say, I am a Leninist, I've always been a Leninist, I will always be a Leninist. Mm -hmm. um, I've been a communist since, since I was born, and I will always remain a communist, and we will never diverge from the communist path. And after he left his role mm. in the Soviet Union of ushering in mm. this post-Stalinist yes. pretend, pretense and mm. performance of the new mm. phase, the fourth yeah. program of the Soviet strategy, yeah. He came to the United States and continued to yeah. promote Leninist right. strategy and is still doing so today, well-funded and supported, yeah. promoting world government and Absolutely. worldwide controls in the name of yeah. environmentalism. Yes, through an outfit called the Gorbachev Foundation, yes. which consists entirely of uh, Soviet apparatchiks. And, um, uh, by the way, uh, was uh, involved with a, an outfit called the, the State of the World Forum, which, when translated from Leninist, Lenin speak means World State Forum. Yes. Anyway, we won't need to talk about um, Saddam Hussein. Yes, and as a major, as a major example of the fact that there has been no real change in the mm. Soviet Union since 1989 and worldwide in other communist countries, the International Terror Network, controlled by the KGB, continues just as active, and it is inconceivable that any alleged group like Al Qaeda or any alleged uh, terrorist operative like Osama bin Laden could ever function independent of this network. That is absolutely true, and uh, indeed all honest experts acknowledge that it is impossible for any of these operations to take place, particularly the 9-11 one, without, a, without the support of a, of a major power. Mm -hmm. Now, in this connection, we have certain information. Um, first of all, as you know, Saddam Hussein was in business with very important um, forces in the United States for at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. This is true. Um, and was a major recipient of U.S. Yeah, government yeah, funding and support. That's right. Because um, when, we, when, we, when we turned Iran, the United States government turned Iran over to the communists and made an enemy state of that, the United States government had the excuse to support Iraq and Saddam Hussein, although controlled by the Soviet military, support him as an alleged mm. buffer against Iran. Right. But Iraq is very important because it's quite clear that uh, what's been happening in Iraq um, is not what you read in the newspapers. Now, I mentioned black operations money just now, mm -hmm. and we can't go into that in much detail here, but the fact is that um, in, under the first Bush administration, an enormous sum of money was raised from 200 banks based abroad, all of them foreign banks. Uh, the sum of money concerned is so enormous that it could not have been raised for any other purpose than the implementation of what I call the new underworld order, if you like. Um, they, they actually raised 18, billion, uh, 18 trillion, 
but the objective was to raise 29.3, 29.8 trillion. And this money, of course, is multiplied, and there's this huge uh, sort of pool of black operations money, which is parked offshore. I mean, this is, the, this is a separate subject on its own, but I just wanted to give that background in order to, is to this, come to the point. Can we understand this yeah. in summary as the extension of the KGB strategy of functioning as the Russian mafia and extending criminalism mm. as a strategy into Western intelligence services? A absolutely. Okay, there's that, been that's a, part of it. There's been a merger mm -hmm. of intelligence services, both vertically and horizontally, mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you like, vertically, with both their own underground uh, criminalist classes mm -hmm. and with foreign underground criminalist classes. Right. And the intelligence services uh, are working together. In fact, Condoleezza Rice herself said the other day, we are allies of Russia, which is a, a, a theme. Mm -hmm. uh, is that, were those her exact words, something like that? Mm -hmm. She said something similar to that. What she actually means by that is that our intelligence services are hand in glove with the Soviet intelligence right. services. Now, mm -hmm. Saddam Hussein was very important in this uh, operation. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we don't know everything that we need to know. But at some point, um, as happens among thieves and among these crooks, they fall out. And there was a falling out between Saddam Hussein and his uh, criminal network and the American criminal operatives at a very, very high level in the American government. Uh, and American intelligence, by the way, has a particular speciality, which is to set up their next enemy. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you commented to me privately about last night, uh, which is apparently that had been going on for a long time. But I found this out when I was looking at certain documents, and I found that Milosevic, the um, Yugoslav dictator, had been engaged in business operations with um, two or three CIA Section 18 corporations, that is to say corporations owned by the American government, set up by the CIA. Um, he becomes, you know, persona non grata and is now being arraigned at the, uh, the Hague Court. Right. Uh, exactly the same thing, in so many words, has happened to Saddam Hussein. Who was, though, uh, in terms mm. of, he was supported by the American government, but mm. his infrastructure mm. and military power mm. and installations mm. were all provided mm. by the Soviet military, yes. by Soviet military Absolutely. intelligence. Yes. And the Soviet military intelligence would not be creating his military garrison state on, on a charitable basis without controlling him as a captive mm. puppet. Yeah, that's right. Now, um, I, I can't comment on a, a, uh, that side of it. What I can comment on is that the, th there is an, an aspect of the Iraqi story which, of course, has never appeared in the mainstream press and probably never will, but we can have a go, all right? And that is that um, there was a computer program uh, by the acronym PROMIS, P-R-O-M-I-S, which was developed by an American expert called William Hamilton. Uh, and um, this program, uh, in, in so many words, enables uh, a user to see inside another government or another bank's database if the other party has got the same program. Now, this program was uh, given by the United States by McFarlane, who was the National Security uh, Council mm -hmm. chief, wasn't he, at mm -hmm. one stage? Yeah. Oh, well, the National Security Agency, I forget. Um, he was, uh, this was handed to the Israelis for certain reasons, because the CIA can do certain things and it, um, cannot do certain things in the United States, mm -hmm. and employed the Israelis to do it, um, to do them. 
the Soviets wind up with this, with this program mm -hmm. because the Israelis gave it to the Soviets or sold it to the Soviets. Mm -hmm. and if we didn't, if we didn't indeed. If, if the Americans didn't. Yeah. And it winds up, quote unquote, on the Soviet black market and is picked up for two million by the Iraqis. Mm -hmm. So you wind up at a certain stage in the, in the 90s where the Iraqis have got a copy of Promise. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when I mentioned the black operations money, this money is offshore, and the reason it's offshore is that it's part, it, 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 it's connected with the semi-privatization of American intelligence, which occurred as a consequence of President Reagan's Executive Order 12333, under which certain um, intelligence operations were quote-unquote privatized. Mm -hmm. Now, the, if you think about this for more than a split second, you can see how incredibly dangerous this is. Because we now have in the United States a number of organizations owing allegiance to very important people, such as George Bush Sr., and I won't, I, various others we could name, who um, appear to be, have been operating as sort of add ons or standalone intelligence organizations, mm -hmm. although they are contracted to by the various so-called American acronym mm -hmm. uh, intelligence agencies. Right, like the CIA. Right. Now, as a consequence of this, um, these people, or elements within them, believe that some of this money, which is offshore, this black operations money, should be paid to them. Mm -hmm. So there's a, f a, a war going on within f fragments of American intelligence to gain access to these funds. Mm -hmm. And this is the most incredible thing that I have ever heard in my life. And it is something which the American public knows absolutely nothing about. But it would allow for people like mm. Mikhail Gorbachev yeah. or the current president of the new Russia, Vladimir mm. Putin, yeah. who actually is, if I'm yeah. correct, an officer of the Soviet military intelligence. He's a GRU officer, GR not a KGB officer, a G as widely stated. Yeah, Soviet military yeah. uh, officer mm. and under Soviet military mm. discipline. Um, yeah. The present president of the Soviet Union, who's supposed to be our ally in mm. the war against terrorism, these guys can get paid off for mm. the role they're playing. They did indeed, and um, both Putin and Gorbachev, or the other way around, Gorbachev and Putin, were paid one billion each, mm. with a promise of 30 billion each to follow. Mm. Now, according to my information, which I, I, I'm unable to go into, right. um, we don't know whether, in fact, uh, the second tranche of the 30 billion was paid to them both. Mm -hmm. I suspect they were scammed, mm -hmm. because intelligence scams people, that's what they do. Mm. But um, uh, what happened was that the Soviets took this money. I mean, it wasn't just them who were bribed. Right. It was very, very senior uh, people, including, I suspect, mm -hmm. Primakov, who will come right. to in a minute. These people took the money and said, thank you very much. And then they, of course, have continued with the same strategy, revolution. the same work they exactly. were doing before promoting the same strategy. Yes. Now, now, let's also note that, that uh, the principal goal of the Leninist strategy of using terrorism mm is not just to do the harm that the terrorists do to people and, mm. and physical property, but to get the target government to respond in a tyrannical way, or we sometimes say the action is in the reaction. As a co consequence to this, we have this huge, enormous, draconian mm. new bureaucracy in the United States, the Department yeah. of Homeland Security, yes. which has now uh, tremendously invasive yeah. uh, controls mm. that violate individual rights of our citizens in the name of fighting terrorism and recently passed Patriot Act mm. legislation, 
which uh, will eventually provide for the same kind of internal passports or identification mm. papers that were used in the Soviet Union. That's and you have in Europe mm. uh, these European arrest warrants yeah. coming that, that, uh, that would enable the European Union to arrest citizens yeah. without any recourse to civil liberties uh, within, uh, within all of Europe and Britain. Yeah, well, I'm very likely to be arrested, I mean, because criticism of the European Union is, a, is, is xenophobia, mm -hmm. right? Under, under the, the, the specially designated crimes mm -hmm. uh, within this particular mm -hmm. program. But um, you mentioned Pri uh, Primakov. Primakov, and this is very appropriate because Primakov has recently been appointed as a special consultant to the Department of Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. Now, um, Yevgeny Primakov is the architect of uh, Middle East terror. He is the, the key architect. The key architect yeah. and controller yeah. of the communist the KGB terror network PLO yeah, directorate that's correct. and he's our new American yeah. government's uh, yeah. consultant yeah. on fighting terrorism. Yeah. Now um, I, I released, I published this story recently and uh, I had it from three separate sources who were not connected, right? Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of emails saying where did you get this information uh, and people saying, trawling the internet saying that they've been looking for this information right. and they can't find any source except Soviet analysts. Right. Well, I stand by my story, right? right. And um, in this issue, I just would like to read this. Primakov, uh, I, I, this is what I wrote. Um, on being appointed in a recent interview, Primakov said amid cynical laughter that he couldn't wait to join the pay corps. Mm -hmm. uh, and that a large number of former, I always put former in apostrophes, right. of course, uh, former KGB generals and colonels were lining up to join the rush to be signed up for the American official payroll. Yes. To fight terrorism. To fight terrorism, which the Soviets are themselves Directing, responsible for. Directing, Directly. Continuing yes. to direct mm. and coordinate. Correct. And unfortunately, the American government, uh, principally through a billion dollars given mm. from the, by the Bush administration to the PLO yeah. portion of the directorate, uh, is funding mm. and financing. And yet the American mm. government's response to terrorism mm. is to impose mm. such uh, dictatorial garrison state controls on American mm. citizens that fingernail files can be confiscated from people at airports, something that Adolf Hitler didn't even dream about doing. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be true. But Once again, Christopher, mm -hmm. we barely scratched the surface. I just want to thank you so much for being with us today and hope it'll be an impetus for our viewers to research this and look into it more. If you're interested in what you heard today, would like to know more of the background and read more about it, have access to these sources, it's very important that you do. Please contact us at the phone number and address given at the end of the program. We'll make sure you have access to them. Thank you so much. This is Bill McElhaney for the McElhaney Report. Thank you for joining us today. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.